0: Welcome to Scrolling to Death. The focus of today's episode is cyberbullying, which will affect more than half of our kids if it hasn't already. I have Maureen Molak with me today to share the story of her son, David, and the work, Maureen, that you are doing to help eliminate cyberbullying through education and legislation and legal action. So Maureen, first, thank you so much for being here today.
1: Thank you, Nikki. It's my pleasure.
0: So can we just start off? Can you tell me about your son, David?
1: Sure, you know, as a, as a kid, David had a more sensitive side. He cared deeply about others. I often tell this story about when he first learned about the Holocaust and he came running home with the book that he had been reading in school and he said, hey, "Mom, just tell me this isn't true. This didn't really happen, did it?" You know, I had to sit him down and talk to him. About the terrible things that had happened in history and how these, you know, people had been traumatized. And, you know, of course it was an age appropriate conversation, but I could tell that he was really, he was really impacted.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: By what he had read and so gr- you know growing up david he was the youngest of three you know he had two older brothers there was a about five year gap between my middle son and david mm-hmm. and he just he wanted to run with the big boys he just wanted to be like his big brothers and
0: he, mm-hmm.
1: uh, David was a basketball player he was tall and lanky and still growing into his legs uh, he was great at basketball. He was on the school basketball team. He played AAU basketball and he was a jokester and he loved to make his friends laugh and Mm -hmm. not the best student. Um, He didn't really like school that much, Um, Mm -hmm. but he was just, he was a, he was a great kid.
0: And so what changed, I mean, or did anything change kind of where did things start to go awry?
1: Yeah, so we first noticed that things were not going well for David. It was after he, you know, he was, like I said, he was playing basketball a lot. Well, he fractured his back mm. from overuse, from playing too much basketball. And while he was rehabbing, he turned to online gaming and social media to fill the void. Mm-hmm. And over a period of time, we saw, started to see a change in his behavior. And it was little by little, it was sign after sign after sign. We would see him getting angry and aggressive when we would try to get him to stop. He was sneaking around, you know, playing games when he wasn't supposed to. It was late at night and we would catch him mm-hmm. online playing. And he was using his devices more often. He was also um, not turning in his homework, telling us he was lying about completing his assignments. Mm-hmm. And then he um, started purchasing virtual assets uh, without our permission online, and it really created a crisis in our family. And then, you know, after we were seeking help, we were getting help. And back then, so like this was eight years ago, this was 2016. right? Actually, it was 2015 when we started to see him struggling with this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was just emerging information was coming out about internet gaming disorder. And the help that we were getting at the time, they didn't really know how to deal with it. You know, we, we were trying to get him help. He was in therapy; it wasn't working, and um, then the cyberbullying started. And he received, you know, months of cyberbullying over a bunch of different platforms. Probably some of the worst incidents were through Instagram, mm-hmm.
0: um,
1: where there was a post made and sent him threatening comments, put him in a body bag, put him six feet under, mm-hmm. told him. He Never go back to school. They were calling him an ape and a psycho and this went on and on and on. And it went, basically went out to hundreds of people. I mean, it was shared and it was promoted online and there were people that were even chiming in on it. That David didn't even know, mm-hmm. and you know that was when we first found out about it. And when we were starting to dig in, we found out that the cyberbullying had been going on for months, but he didn't tell us because he already knew he was struggling with a problem with addiction to screening and gaming, and he was afraid we were going to take his phone away from him. A
0: hundred percent, right? Told us that mm-hmm.
1: the night before David died by suicide, he was added into a group me with a bunch of phone numbers he didn't have in his contacts. Mm-hmm. where they all said insulting comments to him about his looks and his mental health. And then they kicked him out of that group me, And um, that was that was the night before he took his life.
0: Who are these kids that do this type of bullying? Because obviously, if more than 50% of kids are getting cyberbullied, there's a bully for every kid getting cyberbullied. Are they just normal kids who think that they're joking around? What have you learned about the bullies?
1: You'll hear that often from the kids. I was just joking, but in our case, it was different. There was a, there was some jealousy over a girl, mm-hmm. and there were some some boys that targeted him specifically. But then it got out of control. And it was what we call a cyber mob. So you would have kids that would be adding an LOL or this is so effing good and a laughing emoji. And so the hundreds of comments and shares on this Instagram post, we believe, which was so damaging to him, it was like, Everybody in the world hated me, is what was going on in his mind. And like I said, there were people that were even chiming in that he didn't even know. So, I mean, it just went viral and it was just this mob mentality mm-hmm. of targeting him. And maybe some of them just thought it was funny and they didn't, because they didn't even know him. Right. Um, but there were some kids that were involved that's, that knew exactly what they were doing. And even that night, even there were some other students that were watching what was happening and didn't even engage in it. And they actually went to their parents that night to tell them about what was happening. Mm -hmm. And their parents told them not to get involved because they were afraid it was going to turn on their children if they intervened in that situation.
0: Oh, no. Mm -hmm. Okay. God. Do you think that these bullies, when they say... I like suicide bait, other kids, do you think that they mean it? They can't possibly mean it.
1: I mean, you know, intent is really hard um to to prove right right, right. Um, but when you put yourself in the shoes of the target of that, yeah, you don't know what that child is going through. At the time. I mean, you know, life ebbs and flows, right? We all have times in our lives where we're not doing well. And there's times in our lives when we're doing a lot better. And so being able to cope and be resilient to that happening to us in a moment, like our response to that Mm -hmm. really matters. And the person on the other side of the screen doesn't often know what that person is going through at that time.
0: Absolutely. Okay. So that we have gaming and we have social media. We'll get to the social media part of it. I want to talk about that, but let's talk about gaming. And I'm working on an episode now where I'm interviewing gamers because I've been so fascinated in the ruthlessness of these gamers and the gaming chats. And gamers are telling me every time they play, they hear, go kill yourself, go kill yourself over and over and over. And I've asked gamers, what do people really mean when they say that? And I'll get responses like, oh, we just mean you're really bad at the game and you shouldn't play the game. And then gamers will comment to that and say, no, I really mean go kill yourself. It's just horrible, horrific behavior on these gaming chats. And parents who have younger kids now or teenagers are having to decide, do I let my kids play online games, especially where they can communicate with strangers, but kids at school where a lot of this cyberbullying happens. So do you feel like online gaming is a safe space um, if you prepare your kid? Or what are your thoughts on the online gaming communities?
1: When we were going through it eight eight years ago, nine years ago, I didn't really understand how it all worked. Like, it used to be where we would walk into a store and we would buy a game, and we would, mm-hmm. they would play it on the Xbox, and they were you know playing it by themselves, right? Right, totally. And then it just it, it evolved, and it evolved so quickly, and there was so much of it that I didn't understand. What I do know is that in my specific situation, in David's situation, mm-hmm. you know, he was on YouTube quite a bit, learning how to get better at these games, like okay. He found his identity Mm -hmm. in who he was, his gaming status. Mm -hmm. And yeah, he put a lot of effort into getting better at these games and like buying virtual assets to increase his player power. Right. That I think is what for him was so damaging when the cyberbullying did start,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: his online persona was so important to him and he was just crushed mm-hmm. when he started getting targeted online
0: yeah I mean that was everything to him and teenagers at that age they need that peer acceptance and they seek it I mean and their their brains are trying to separate from their parents that's the whole goal and so they seek acceptance from their peers and right. then when their peers are not accepting them and putting them down it's unbearable often. And I hear this all the time. Let's talk about social media. So he was experiencing the cyberbullying through Instagram. Let's start here. You went to the Senate hearing last week with the big tech CEOs, correct? Yes. Mark Zuckerberg started his opening statement, trying to explain that there is actually not a connection between social media use and mental health issues. How did you feel when he said that?
1: I was so insulted by his comments. And we all know that that is not true. The science is, shows <laughs> that there is a causation. And I can just speak from, from my own family's experience. Sure,
0: I and know. Seeing
1: what happened, David was anxious and depressed when he, after a period of time of being addicted to social media and online gaming, there is no doubt in our minds of what he was experiencing.
0: Right. I mean, I agree. And the research does exist, and it's flabbergasting that his advisors aren't telling him you can't say that because not only is there research, but ask any parent. Ask any parent that's kid uses social media if they are happier using social media or prior to using social media. So with Instagram specifically, it's been since 2015 that David was using it. Has there have you noticed any changes around the safety of the Instagram platform or the prevalence of cyberbullying in your advocacy? Or are you feeling like it's better or worse? Like what's the status of the cyberbullying on Instagram specifically? <laughs>
1: That's a great question. We're in the schools. We work in Texas and we're in the schools and we do lessons and work closely with school districts. Uh, we often hear from administrators in schools asking us if we know somebody from Instagram, because you may have heard about these T accounts that got set up. Back during COVID, where they were basically the old-fashioned gossip pages, where they were posting rumors about students online, and sometimes they would um, they would post rumors about teachers and administrators online. But these kids were in distress, and rumors were being spread. I mean, it was terrible things that were being said, and they were moderated. It was an anonymous Instagram account. People would submit. And then the moderator or owner of the account would post these things and it would be related to a school. So it would be, you know, spill the tea, you know, Central High School or whatever the school's name was. And so we would have administrators reaching out to us and ask us, do you know anybody on Instagram? Like we've got children in crisis right now that are struggling and are contemplating suicide. They're in mental health distress we need to get this information taken down. Mm -hmm. And we know it's against their community standards. I mean, cyberbullying can be a crime in Texas. We did that. And that's part of David's law.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: so, you know, we expect those social media platforms to follow their community standards, but also Follow the laws that are out there, and so um, it just becomes a a problem. And I'll have students will reach out and tell me that they block and they report, and that info and that still stays up.
0: Okay. But you have meta executives and, and staff members saying that if something gets reported and it's against community guidelines, it gets taken down. But in your experience, that's not true. No. Okay.
1: It may happen sometimes, yeah, but like we don't have the data. like we don't know how many reports are out there and how many get taken down. Right. My guess it's that they may take down a few, but it is not the number of of reports for sure.
0: Well, Mark Zuckerberg was once quoted saying, the closer something is to violating our community standards, the more engagement that it gets. So they want to leave that stuff up if it's even questionable to them because it gets more engagement, more eyeballs, more money for them.
1: Absolutely.
0: All at the expense of the mental health of our children.
1: Mm -hmm. That's their business model.
0: Okay, great. Great. We're talking about Instagram, but is there other specific platforms where online bullying is happening?
1: It's happening across all the platforms. I mean, we hear it often from the p- parents that reach out to us mm-hmm. Snapchat, Discord, you, you name it. It's happening across all of the platforms. Parents are just exhausted and they can't keep up with the, all of the different platforms, how to report, how to keep their kids safe. I mean, it is an ongoing problem for parents, and they're trying to work, and they're trying to hold their families together, and then they have to navigate through mm-hmm. this maze of safeguards that's different with every platform. I mean, it's it's impossible for parents to keep up.
0: Absolutely. It's another challenge that we have now that we have no experience with ourselves. We didn't grow up on these platforms so we are learning them on the back end of our kids having issues on them and trying to reactively help them. All right, so social media platforms are cyberbullying on every single one. So I have three children, eight and under. They're not asking for social media yet, but I'm sure they will soon. And should I let them have access to social media? Is my question for you. Mm-hmm.
1: I would say wait as long as you possibly can. Your children are all different, right? And there's going to be some that are are a child that can self-regulate better than another child. Mm -hmm. And so just not having a hard rule and says that, you know, when you're 13, you're able to get it. It's, you know, when you're ready and working with your child, when you decide that the time is ready Mm -hmm. and maybe giving them one app and sitting with them, it's like driving a car, right? You're going to walk through all of the safeguards, make sure they're safe, understand how to do it Mm -hmm. and navigate through it. But have them also be at an age where they can articulate to you like why they need it, what they're going to use it for, how it's going to help them Meet their goals in life, you know, and what they're, what they're not in life, but you know, like what, what are their current goals, right? You know, yeah. and how it can be used for good. And then to recognize what those signs are of where it can be used for bad and what they're going to do once they see something. I mean, they will see something yeah. for sure that is going to be bad, but giving them the tools And the resources, and to know that they can come to you no matter what. You're not gonna take their device away. You're gonna help them process it and get through it, right? And then you're going to make sure that you're monitoring it throughout the whole process.
0: Yes, it can't be hands off, and those communications have to be happening constantly. And I just think my kids are gonna have a hard time. Convincing me that there's going to be positive benefit to it to their use, Um, you know, I am using Instagram for to promote this podcast and this message. Just right now, before this call, I got a message from, from someone saying, you know, but you're active on Instagram, so is Instagram better than the other platforms? And it's just. For me, about getting in front of the people who are on there, who are likely giving it to their children, in order to spread these messages, you know, adults get to decide that. But this twelve and thirteen age limit for the kids to get access to social media is just, for me, just generally too young. I don't think any child is ready at that age. So, what about gaming? So, you didn't have a great experience with David and his gaming activity, and I don't think it's gotten much better um, since then. So, you know, should I let my kids? play online games?
1: I mean, I, I think that it's kind of the same thing. It's like, are your children, are they yeah. are they ready for it? And when they are, it's like this slow process. And it's, you know, playing games with you as a family and what can y'all do together mm-hmm. and then navigating through some of those difficult situations and bringing it up. It's having those constant conversations in, with them about what they're experiencing You know, even if it's just not the negative, it's like, what good did you see in that today? Yeah. You know, and as they get older, you know, the conversation changes. You know, one thing that I've learned in all of the work that we do in the schools is the older teens, you know, they see what their younger siblings and younger cousins are hearing. And they're telling me like, it's so much worse now than it was when they were that that age. And so they're a little bit more protective. So it's like engaging the older siblings and older cousins to sort to make sure that they're watching and helping that younger child navigate through all of that.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Online bullying in general, even as I grew up, I didn't have access to social media. Kids got cell phones at 16, 17. They were kind of newer, and we just used them because we were driving and we needed to – I don't even think they had maps on them, to be honest. But um, it was more of a safety tool. So we may have been bullied, for example, but it was in person, and we could get away from it when we got home. Obviously, there's a big difference now between online bullying and in-person bullying. I would say pretty confidently that online bullying can be more dangerous. Would, would you agree with that? How can we start to understand, as people who have not experienced online bullying likely, what our kids are going through?
1: The 24-7 in the privacy of your own bedroom, you can't get away from it. Mm -hmm. You can't reach into that device and make that person stop. Just the online environment creates this what's called an imbalance of power, which is usually what you'll hear in in a legal definition of bullying or cyberbullying in like education code. Not being able to have any control in that situation to be able to stop it creates Creates that imbalance of power. The fact that it can be spread so rapidly, and like in David's case, right, it just got spread and there were all these people involved, so you can have this cyber mob, and then it lives out there basically forever, right? So even if you could get it shut down for a period of time, in the back of the child's mind... It's like, when is it going to rear its head again? Because it was either screenshotted or it went dormant and it's going to pop back up. And I can tell you that has happened quite a bit in the work that we've done here in Texas. We have seen things go dormant and then something will happen and it'll come back up. And then the person is re-victimized and re-traumatized by what is happening out there.
0: Yeah, that's frightening. And I mean, this is also one of the reasons why so my husband and I do not share our children online because you hear stories of the content that you share around your kid, you know, an embarrassing little video or something that's funny at the time but can be used later on as well for cyberbullying. Like things can always come back around and be found. You mentioned that David didn't tell you guys about the bullying because he didn't want you to take away his games and his phone, and I that's like the number one reason I hear why kids don't tell their parents. What would you recommend to parents knowing that they're probably not going to tell us? How do we create a safe space or how do we get through to them? Or are we kind of out of luck when it comes to getting them to tell us about it?
1: If you create a contract with them, you know, when they get their cell phone and you let them know that they can come to you no matter what they experience online and that you will not take away their device unless... They are perpetuating that cyberbullying or whatever else it is in your household that you hold true to. So, talking about your values and your your family, um, what's your family motto, and how how all of that plays into the online lives of us as family members, and just set the expectation. And knowing as a parent, so, you know, if your child comes to you and they've experienced something online, whether it's pornography or cyberbullying, whatever it is, that you take a deep breath and step back and not go into, you know, crazy mom mode and that they will know, okay, Mom's not going to overreact. You know, she's going to help me get through it. And I'm going to have a conversation with her about it. Mm -hmm. I think if we can set that expectation and really follow through with that. And I know it's hard, you know, as a parent, when you see what your children are experiencing online, you want to go into crazy mom mode. And you want, first thing you want to do is rip that device out of their hand and say, no more but we can't, you know, it's it's really recommended that we don't do that.
0: If you freak out, they're not going to come to you. Yeah. Okay. So are there signs we can look for, though, to recognize maybe if there's bullying happening with our child, anything, any signs we can look for?
1: You know, is your child using their device more frequently? Are they using it less frequently? Are they anxious when they're looking at their device? Are they sleeping well? Are they eating? Any kind of change in than their behavior. And I always tell parents, you know your child better than anyone. If you see any change in their behavior, talk to your pediatrician. Most of us are not trained psychologists. You know, we are moms and we do know when something just does not seem right with our kid. So your first line of defense is talking to your pediatrician. And, and letting them know because they have good tools to be able to assess what's going on.
0: Yeah, not to ignore it or put it off as like teenage angst. I feel like our spidey senses and our mommy senses, we need to pay attention more than ever.
1: It's really hard to determine whether or not it's just typical teenage angst or if there's something really, you know, going on with your kid.
0: All right. So you've been working to try to prevent bullying and I wonder if you, can, if you have any on top of mind success stories where if a child was being bullied, they reported it, it was addressed and resolved. Does that happen and does anything come to mind around that?
1: Well, in, in Texas, we, you know, we worked really hard on providing tools to schools, parents, and law enforcement to be able to address cyberbullying and bullying. And since then, we've helped, you know, we help hundreds of families every single year. Mm-hmm. And there have been often situations where we'll have a family will reach out to us and say, you know, I went in to report an incident of bullying and, or cyberbullying. And the school administrator said, because of David's law, we can take action. On this particular situation. Hmm. Probably the most um, important provision in David's Law was that it gives schools the authority to address cyberbullying that occurs off campus if it materially affects a student's ability to learn or go to school. And so that particular provision has really helped a lot of parents. We also do legal services and we help families with uh, pro bono legal. And, you know, there was one particular situation several years ago where there was an anonymous Snapchat where the person had started a, a user in a young girl's name and was soliciting sexual material from other students um, in her name. Okay. And they reached out to us. We were able to file a restraining order, get that from Snapchat, get the information from Snapchat, sue Snapchat. And then we unsuited Snapchat. Then we had to, to suit AT&T to get the, the IP address. And so it was this long, drawn out legal process that took a long time. But the end result was positive. We were able to get it taken down. We were able to to identify that perpetrator
0: amazing that you're providing those services cuz god forbid snapchat just take it down because it's, it violates community standards in the first place
1: well we reached out to them first friendly and asked them if they would turn it over first and they said no so we had to we had to file a suit
0: that's incredible. <laughs> it's just mind blowing. And do other states have similar laws like David's law?
1: Every single state has, you know, a bullying policy, and and most of them include cyberbullying. But I don't know of another state that addresses all the different provisions, education code, civil code, and criminal code um, to deal with it.
0: Okay. We were introduced through Kristen Bride. They were able to get Carson's Law enacted there in Oregon. Is that a similar law?
1: I believe that Carson's Law is. It has a reporting piece in there that's very similar to what we had in David's Law. But David's Law is pretty big. I mean, we, we affected a lot of different codes. Yeah. It has a lot of provisions in it. And actually... Probably one of the other main pieces of it is that not only just the reporting piece, but it also required every school district in the state of Texas to have an anonymous reporting tool. And so we've really found that that has been meaningful because we heard from students that they wanted to report mm-hmm. these incidents, but they were afraid to do that. So so back in, yeah, in, back in 2017, they were required to have an anonymous reporting tool.
0: What's smartphone use like in schools in Texas? Are are they banning phones in schools? How's it looking over there?
1: Now I don't know about full bans, but we do know that they are, a lot of school districts are having the students come in and put their, their phones up For, you know, during the classroom day, maybe they can pick them up after the end of the day. It just varies. We give school districts a lot of flexibility in Texas, you know, Mm -hmm. and I speak to a lot of superintendents and those that do have those types of rules in place um, have said that they have seen such great positive outcomes where the students are engaging with one another more friendly and they are turning in their homework mm-hmm. on time like they're they are really encouraged by that but of course you know one of the biggest hurdles is the parents and as you know in Texas we've had you know a couple of just horrific school shootings here yeah and so parents are on high alert they want to be able to to get in touch with their with their students. And so, you know, what the superintendents will tell me is they will tell their parents, look, let me just try it. Mm-hmm. And let's just do a test. And let's see, and I'm going to put all these other precautions in place to, to make sure that you understand that we're going to keep your kids physically safe here in our schools. Mm-hmm. But let's see what happens when we put these devices up. And they have just said that it has just been remarkable.
0: I hear that too. And even sometimes I've heard from um, some school districts that bullying has gone down as well because they're not able to do those things. Like you mentioned, those T profiles and they're sharing photos of kids embarrassing things during school because they have access to their phones.
1: Yeah. Since David's Law, we've seen a reduction in bullying and cyberbullying across the state of Texas. Bullying is reduced by almost 20% and cyberbullying by 19%.
0: Wow. That is amazing, Maureen. I love that. And I I hope that all states are on the road to passing similar legislation. I mean, I only hear great things about banning phones in schools or at least making the kids put them away during instructional time. I also hear the parents' complaint about the school shootings, but I've spoken with professionals that are like, it actually, if your kid has a phone in their hand, it makes it much more dangerous in a school shooting situation for them. So there's a strong case against them having their phones in those situations. Very complicated topic, but um, I love having your opinion on it. Let's start to wrap up. I would love to ask if you could share a favorite memory that you have of David.
1: Oh, I would say probably our favorite memories with of David are when we were on family vacations. And, you know, we would... Mm. Go to Colorado and we would go hiking and we would go, you know, to tropical places and we would go to the beach. And David's favorite place was Atlantis. We always talked about going back. You know, when you're on vacation, all of your worries seem to go away and those memories will stay with us forever.
0: Have you been able to go back to Atlantis?
1: No, it's too hard for us to go back.
0: Yeah. Yeah you know when i ask this question of parent survivors i almost always get a memory of a vacation especially an outdoor hiking or something outdoors and i think it's a interesting reminder and special reminder for parents to get off the grind and and take your kids outdoors and do some outdoor vacations whenever you can, because when you are, right, you're unplugged and you're just with each other. And that lasts forever, those memories. They do. Maureen, thank you so much for sharing that with me.
1: Sure, Nikki. Yeah. Thank you so much for everything that you are doing to Encourage people on COSA. Yeah, you know that's really the main you know, the main work that we're doing right now, and we know that the work that we've done in Texas is not enough. And I've been fighting the social media companies for eight years now, mm-hmm. and they've lobbied against me here in Texas, and they are, you know, of course, lobbying against COSA at the federal level. And yep. just appreciate everything that you're doing there.
0: You're welcome, Maureen. So. Kids Online Safety Act is important, um, online safety legislation for children it's got a lot of great stuff in there. I've done, I've talked about it in many different interviews. One good one is uh, with Alex Fraser of issue one. He talks about the pushback and kind of digs into it for you. That was a focus of the Senate hearing last week was trying to get these tech CEOs to give support for these bills and across the board, most did not give, well, none gave Oh, Snap gave support for COSA. We'll see um, what they actually do when it comes to spending millions of dollars to send their lobbyists in to vote against it.
1: Our message is to Congress. We've heard these hearings. Um, this was the 10th hearing. Voices get raised and they wag their finger at the CEOs, and we're done with that. Yeah. Now Congress needs to act. And you know, there's an election this year. Um, this is a big, big issue for parents and families, and we need Congress mm-hmm. on board to do what they can do, specifically asking Senator Schumer to bring COSA to a floor vote here within the next couple of months, we can get a Senate vote. And I'm very confident that we're going to see it pass out of the Senate, but we need him to be able, we need him to do that.
0: Okay, so parents can go to Fair Play's website, learn about COSA, and can you also there find out if your state senator supports the bill and then make a request if they don't?
1: Yes, absolutely. You know, and the other thing too is like par- uh, people can go to parentssos.org, which is a, an education initiative that David's Legacy Foundation and Fair Play have come together, and it shares the stories of 20 families who have lost children to online harms. And there's also a link on there um, that takes them to the Fair Play site. So one-stop shop at parentssos.org.
0: Okay, I'll conclude that in the episode notes. There's really no more important issue here, you guys. Like it's cyberbullying is just one dangerous element to these online platforms. There's so much that we need to be thinking about and these platforms just need to be made safer and have some liability, right? So that we have a little bit of an easier job as a parent in protecting our children. Okay, so again, Maureen, thank you so much for sharing your story and for introducing us to David. I really appreciate everything you do so that the world is just safer for our children it's so important and thank you again
1: thank you nikki